welcome into a special NBA free agency edition of the ESPN Hoops podcast. My name's Kane Pittman and alongside me from two meters away, the first time in a long time I've been <laughs> in the room with this great man is my colleague at ESPN.com.au, Olga Nulich. Olgs. Welcome back. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be in the same room. You ran away from us. You went up to Sydney. Excuse me? Why is this burden on me? You were in... You were doing doing your little sports centers just over in... Where, where were you? Miami? Oh, you, you hero. Miami, Denver. Where else were you? There's a few places. Yeah. It was a good trip. And so what don't I put will, this on me. No, no. And what I will say is being away from Australia for a little bit, you were the man that was keeping me up to date with everything that's going on with the NBL. And it is still the off season. This is going to be an NBA podcast. But I highly recommend everyone, if you haven't already, keep up to date with what Olgan is doing with the NBL, particularly coming up here uh, with NBA Summer League, which of course everyone will be watching on ESPN. But there's going to be a lot of news and a lot of familiar faces that everyone uh, will want to keep track of over the next couple of weeks. It's always a fun time. If you're a basketball fan, you've got an NBA team, maybe you've got some draftees, maybe there's some Australians in the mix. So it's going to be a lot of fun and you'll be sweating your ass off over there, Alks. Yeah, um, I'm looking... F- oh, I was going to say I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm Like, I'll go and there'll be lots to do. I'll be kept super busy. But I, I, Vegas is a lot. And I, I usually tell myself I'm not going for more than like three or four days. I've decided to go for like seven days. So I'm already regretting that. Um, but no, I'm very excited to go over there, represent ESPN with the flying colors. In my experience from a couple of summer leagues, I would say day five is when I, I literally cannot handle anymore. But uh, we'll see how you go. And of course, we'll be watching you from over here. So like I said, keep up to date at ESPN.com.au with everything that is going on. We're going to talk about the NBA free agents. And I think from now on, day two of NBA free agency should be renamed in honor of the Australians because it was all about <laughs> Australia this year, Olgs, and uh, we are going to get to some of the biggest names in Australian basketball and a lot of them shifting spots and trying to find a new home now and maybe some of them in fascinating situations. Before we get to that, though, I did want to mention uh, Cecil Exum and the passing mm. of Cecil Exum here in the last couple of days. Of course, the father of Dante Exum, but he is an NBL legend, an NCAA champion way back in 1982 with... Uh, the Tar Heels and some some names that basketball fans are very familiar with, James Worthy, Michael Jordan as well. And this was before my time when he was uh, dominating down here in Australia. But uh, from being around basketball circles for a number of years, Olgs, no one uh, says anything but great things about Cecil and what he did for the game. So a true legend of the NBL uh, and very, very sad news uh, in the last couple of days here that we have uh, heard and has come through. So thinking of the Exum family and everyone that is friends or... Uh, has known or played with uh, Cecil Exum over the years. So we wanted to mention that to get started. I think that was, uh, we both acknowledged that when we first came in. So thinking of the Exum family, but as far as the NBA free agents go, and this is just the way that I ordered this, and I thought we'd start with Patty Mills. Why? Well, because he's an Australian basketball legend, and I think over the last 12 months, as Brooklyn has descended Mm. into chaos as a franchise... Uh, we saw Patty Mills fall out of the rotation this year, which I think is just jarring. If you're an Australian basketball yeah. fan, you're so used to seeing this man play. He only appeared in 40 games, 14 minutes per game, which was the lowest mark since 2011. So I think more than anything, certainly Australian basketball fans might be just excited about a new start and a new opportunity to see Patty Mills playing uh, real NBA minutes in what is, away from the NBA, a massive period for Australian basketball with the World Cup coming up and then uh, obviously the Olympics next year. So I'm really interested in where Mills is going to 
actually end up mm-hmm. permanently, mm-hmm. right? And so he was traded to the Rockets and then rerouted again to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, just from chatting to people, I don't think they're going to keep him. Mm-hmm. They have 19 guys on their roster right now. Uh, he has an expiring $6.8 million contract. It doesn't feel like they need him in any way. The, the point guard spot is, is short up already. They just signed. They just brought Mitchich over from Europe as well. I think they're, they're pretty good at that position. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if, if this expiring contract is just bought out. And then Mills, sort of like he did when he first joined the Nets, I think he might just end up on one of those contenders as a guy who might be able to come in and do something. I'm thinking like a Gabe Vincent type where he can come in and maybe make some sort of an impact. I don't I don't know if he can if teams see him as that defensively as someone who can play deep into a, a postseason, but when he got minutes for the Nets, he was super productive. Like that that didn't change. It just seemed like their their priorities changed. They they wanted to play different guys and see what other guys could do because I feel like they knew that they were sort of they were going to move on from him. Yeah, a lot of similar guys on that Brooklyn Nets roster, which I think hurt him along the way. Uh, you mentioned the scoring rate, and this is why we've seen it recently for the Boomers, but we also saw it this year in the NBA. So if you look at the scoring rate over the course of his career, and by the way, let's just acknowledge for a pick 55, he is about to enter year 15 True. in the NBA. And I don't think, I mean, we talk about it in Australia, but I mean, you, you look at the resume and where he's been and the minutes he's played and the points he's scored as really predominantly a guy that's come off the bench and been that uh, guy that can get you a bucket really quickly. Year 15 is something worth acknowledging here, but uh, 15.9 points per game per 36 across his career. Last year, obviously the minutes were down, but he was still at 15.6 and his assist percentage, usage percentage and, and the shooting efficiency was all around career marks. So... Every time I saw him get on the floor last year, I was like, yeah, this is a guy that is still NBA caliber. This is a guy that should still be in the league. So I would agree with you. I, I think I would like to, and by the way, I'm not putting a cap on what the Thunder can do this year, but I would like to see Patty Mills, if it's not at the Thunder, and it, it, for a contender, and I would imagine that there's going to be a number of teams that are pretty excited about having his services as one of those, one of those guards off the bench. Yeah, and like you said, 15 years sounds like so long. Crazy. It's absurd, especially for someone who's like sub six one. For someone like that to stick, let alone to just get to the NBA, but to stick there is is pretty incredible. Um, I wonder if he reverts back to the sort of the, the thinking that he had ahead of signing with the Nets, where it was I think the two West Coast teams were among yeah. those in contention for him. It was the the, the Lakers, the Warriors, that sort of thing. Because uh, I know he likes to hang out in Hawaii, so I imagine that <laughs> those are the two those are two teams that that may end up asking about Patty Mills, assuming he gets bought out of this contract, which I, I, I assume he will. Um, but but yeah, and then I just, I'm, I'm curious as to, is he using this World Cup as not, not a trial? Because he's, he's a known commodity in the, the NBA, but maybe just like a, a prove it. Like, look, look, I can still do this. I can still perform at a high level, that sort of thing. Yeah, well, it's going to be fascinating, particularly at the back end of free agency now as a lot of those roster spots you mentioned the crunch for OKC, but a lot of teams are in that position. So are there a lot of roles on contending teams at the guard spot? I can think of a few teams that that still probably need someone to fill that position. Milwaukee's definitely one of those who who are, have a serious lack of, of guards at the moment if you look at their depth chart. So there will be teams that will want his services. More than anything, you know that there's going to be a number of teams that want Patty Mills because he is the highest of high characters. And if you're a contending team, those are the types of guys you want in there, particularly... Uh, with the postseason experience he has. Uh, another reason why he can't go to OKC, we've only seen Patty Mills wear number eight. Jalen Williams has that locked up, so that's that's not going to work. Which Jalen Williams? 
Uh, the one, the 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 forward, the small forward. J A L E N. Yeah. Uh, is that big dub or little dub? What are they call just, them? They call him J Dub. Exactly right. Um, when that trade first happened, was there a little bit of excitement of the potential? And we'll speak about Jack White soon. Of having Giddy, Jack White, Patty Mills on the one team, the Oklahoma City Boomers was something that circled around real quickly until I think a lot of people realized that he's probably going to get either bought out or rerouted again or, or something like that. Did did the did the thought go through your head a little bit? Yeah, PR strategy. <laughs> get a whole nation on board. I mean, you could have. I would imagine that the OKC have a lot of Australian fans over the last couple of years with what Josh Giddy's doing anyway. You mentioned uh, Jack White. Uh, we may as well just keep it rolling now that we've already gone there. So, oh, I ruined our order. Guys, we had an order that we were going down, and I ruined it. Well, we're rusty, and we're just <laughs> working our way through this Kane's rundown. That's this, what happened. Yeah, a, a little me. bit. Just working our way through this makeshift rundown that we've got. So, Jack White, uh, this one was interesting because, honestly, if you look at where Denver was at, the guys they have that play the three through you know, five, and not that you play a lot of five, but those, those positions there at Denver, they were stacked. So, yeah. they loved him, but was there going to be a path there for him to have any other opportunity outside of a two-way and, and probably play a fair bit of G League basketball? I'm not so sure, but he put up 21 and 10 in the G League, was utterly dominant. He shot 40% from three 40%. on 4.7 three-point attempts per game. Now, that's not the type of Jack White we saw in the NBL, but it also wasn't his role. That's not what he was asked to do. But on 4.7 attempts per game, 40% clip, that is, that is legit shooting at the NBA three-point line. So... Again, this OKC team with young talent, Olgs, is stacked. So I'm looking at the depth chart. I'm looking at some of these names, and I think it's going to be challenging. But by the same token, an athlete, a guy that can shoot from the outside, and again, a high-character guy, it's it's exciting for him to actually get this opportunity now, take another step up from the two-way contract he was on. I wonder if he looked at someone like a Josh Gideon and saw, okay, he's on a team that... He's not succeeding when it comes to wins and losses, but the opportunity is pretty immense. I can maybe go and do something similar. Granted, OKC is sort of rebuilt to the point where they're a play-in team. And on the pro- verge, on the they're, verge they're probably, of trying to take a step. They're yeah. probably getting into the playoffs at this point. Um, but then I'm thinking about it. I look at the Nuggets roster and who they weren't able to bring back. They didn't bring back Bruce Brown. Mm-hmm. They didn't bring back Jeff Green. And so I'm thinking they're probably, I don't want to say minutes, at that sort of 4-3, that 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 wing spot but I feel like there could have been an opportunity to maybe stick around and see what was see what might happen there because they lost a lot of their prominent guys and Jack White as much as he's a new NBA player I think he's he's, how old is he now he's about to turn 27 right he's that sort of age where he can maybe step up he's played a few pro years he's he can handle himself defensively I, I wonder if there could have been an opportunity in Denver to actually stick around and maybe crack the rotation and figure out how to play with that group because he, he never really got a chance to because he was just a two-way guy. I wonder if that would have been there considering they've lost a bunch of their guys in free agency. Well, the other point to acknowledge uh, when teams are working through plan A, plan B, plan C, it all happens pretty quickly. Now, I know the Bruce Brown deal happened very, very quickly and despite the fact that Michael Malone was publicly pleading for Bruce <laughs> Brown to come back, he took 22 mil or whatever it is that he got. So He wasn't pleading. He was he was confident. He said it. He demanded. Con- <laughs> but I, I think if you are Jack White's camp as well, you probably look at it and, and you're probably not in a position where you can afford to be like, oh, we're just going to hang out here and see what comes up. If the Thunder come to you and say, we've got a two-year deal, yep. you're probably grabbing that 
with both hands. So, uh, to your point, I don't necessarily disagree, but it, it happens quickly. And this was part of the the day two Aussie frenzy and a two year deal for Jack White. Again, let's let's not forget eighteen months off the Achilles injury. True. NBA champion Jack White. We should refer to him as, by the way. So, an incredible story. Yeah. Um. I'm. I, I wonder what would have been on the table. I wonder if if that security was really important to them and i'm and i imagine it was and that makes me think what's denver gonna do from here on out i wonder if he would look in hindsight and and think oh maybe there's a spot there um i appreciate the idea of oklahoma city putting multiple years on the table and Mm -hmm. thinking yeah i have to go get that um and it would be cool he's not playing in summer league he's with the team during summer league and i think that's something that okc does pretty well Mitchich is there jack white's there they're around the team in utah giddy goes to vegas to join the team just to sort of be around them they'll do they, would, they do a really good job culture wise um and for the past few years you, know, you see that up close you see what how how giddy's sort of like uh, put himself within that culture too so i think jack white is a good fit in a bunch of ways i'm interested to see what happens when their roster crunch is done well, he's not playing in summer league because he's probably still recovering from the parade and the Vegas <laughs> antics of the Denver Nuggets after they uh, won the NBA championship. So that's the OKC uh, contingent for now anyway, and we'll see how that all plays out. Someone else that was, you know, to me, really exciting to see was Jock Landau. Yeah. And before we even mentioned Jock Landau at all, you sat down with him yesterday as we're recording this. We were recording this on Tuesday afternoon. I've already gone on the ESPN Australia YouTube channel and watched the video that's up there, but there's a story on ESPN.com.au with all the contract news and everything that has played out uh, with Jock Landau. But firstly, to me at least, let's acknowledge the last 18 months that this man has had from the NBL, and it's a little bit further back probably, yeah. we're, we're rewinding there, but uh, Melbourne United with the NBL, San Antonio, welcome to the NBA, the Atlanta Detour around the offseason and then finds himself in Phoenix on a team that had sky-high expectations, NBA title expectations. Yep. It didn't work out. He's got a house in Phoenix. He's getting settled. He's talking about how much he loves it. And now he's found himself in Houston again. So you talk about guys that are figuring out how the NBA works and the business of the NBA. Jock Landau, uh, top of the list in his first two seasons. And what he did toward the end of his season with the, the Suns, mm-hmm. I think solidified him. Uh, and and got him this contract, right? There were, during that playoff series, you know, there was a there were, there were points where DeAndre Ayton was not unplayable, but it was really tough to see them to see that team being effective in any way with Ayton at the five, considering the superstars they had and the, the mouths they had to feed. Compared to someone like Jock Landale, who, given his style of play, just fit in really seamlessly with those guys. And he spoke about that yesterday. He he knows that in order to to be sustainable in the NBA he needs to continue to do that sort of thing so that's rim running uh, that's rolling hard it's, it's playing good D um, and he did all those things and he was able to get this big contract four years 32 million with Houston Rockets granted year one is guaranteed and year two and three non-guaranteed and then year four is a team option it's, it's effectively a one-year deal but there is some level of security that if he plays reasonably well then that that contract is, is there for him and there to be guaranteed but this was Considering what he's been through in in Europe, through the NBL, playing through that COVID year in the NBL, the ups and downs through the Spurs, through the Suns, and then really shining in the playoffs, this was as much of a, a well-deserved contract as you can get. 
Four years, 32 million in this economy, Olgan, for a center? <laughs> that is good value. First of all, you're very happy for Jock, and hopefully it works out for the length of that contract. But you're also, if you're the Houston Rockets, they've got a young roster. If they continue to go down the trajectory they want to with all these young players, eventually they're going to be asking for money and they're going to want to get paid. If you have a starting caliber in the NBA, which I think Jock Landau has already proven himself to be, if you have a starting NBA center on $8 million, and it's actually a little bit under, and it obviously will uh, will move up with the with the raises per year. So that is incredible value for Jock Landau, and he spoke about the guarantee a little bit in the chat with you, which again, you can find uh, wherever you get to your uh, ESPN basketball news. What did what did Jakob Pertle get paid? I'm not saying they're on the same level. Well, Jakob Pertle, now again, I, I, I agree with you. We're not yeah. saying they're on the same level, but Vucevic with a, a 20 mil per year, a three-year $60 million deal. Like what Nas Reid got. What yeah. just just how much uh, the Timberwolves are paying for centers in general to get someone like Landau, who again on the court awesome, but also off the court for a team that has had its issues with regard to its chemistry, with its culture, to bring someone like that in to help someone like Alperen Sengun, mm-hmm. to help Jalen Green help find his footing, someone like Amen Thompson, who I think is going to come in and sort of be the guy who steers that ship. I think. Jock Landale, Fred Van Vliet, these guys, from a culture standpoint, I think are super important. Um, and, and I think he's aware of that too. I think it seems as though there is almost like a collection that that, that is Ime Udoka, that is Jock Landale, that is Fred Van Vliet, even Dylan Brooks, that are coming in and saying, okay, we're going to turn this around. Like We have to be serious as a franchise now. And that seems like, that, that seems like what's happening. So a couple of things that I found uh, fascinating from your chat without giving it all away... Uh, the first one was the idea of you mentioning the fact that he's a veteran player and you tiptoed your way around that, which I thought was very he good. Is. You don't want to offend anyone. You're not calling him old. You're just mentioning the fact that <laughs> on a young roster, uh, he is one of the guys that, from a professional basketball standpoint, has been around. So that's interesting now. The Spurs were young, but I think he's established himself more as an NBA player now. So this is the first time he's walking into an NBA team and it's like, hey, you played real playoff rotation minutes last yep. year. So that's interesting to me, as you pointed out. The second thing is uh, Shangun, as you mentioned. And Landau kind of sat back and said, well, I was battling DeAndre Ayton for minutes last year. This yep. is a guy that's a max contract player, which to me was like, yeah, I'm happy. And he'll be a good teammate. He had to uh, battle with Bismack Biombo last year in Phoenix. So he's not going to be a problem in the locker room. But I also get the sense that he's like, hey, I've been around for a couple of years now. I know I'm an NBA player and I've got no problem in battling with you. And probably internally, this is how I read it, he thinks that he can be a starter on this team. And to be honest, uh, I agree with him. The, The thing with Phoenix, and I want to ask you this because I was a little bit surprised with the way that the Phoenix Suns are building out their roster. Now, firstly, Landau got more money. So ultimately, that's going to be a a big part of this. But if you've got all these guys that that want the ball, and you mentioned it, mouse to feed, Jock Landau, there was a reason why he fits so well in this team. I remember doing a sports center hit uh, back during the season. We showed a highlight package of Jock Landau running the floor and not getting the ball. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and he's not worried about that. He will do that. He's a, an offensive rebounder at a very high level, 11.8 offensive rebounding percentage last year, which is in the 81st percentile. He finished 71% at the rim because a lot of those opportunities were coming when everyone else is taking the opportunity and he's always in the right spot and he's able to finish around there. So while he now goes to Houston and it's going to be a, a tremendous opportunity for him, the Rockets swung and uh, missed with Brook Lopez. And, and I just think they've got a really uh, good 
starting caliber NBA center on their roster. But Landau, to me, is a player that any contending team with plenty of ball handlers and guys that can score on the perimeter would absolutely covet. Yeah, I do you treat Landale's really impressive playoff campaign more seriously than you would perhaps Rui Hachimura's sort of the, 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 what two good series that he had or, or even what Bruce Brown did? Granted, he was great throughout the entire playoffs and there are, there are more glimpses there, but do you treat it, what Landale did, with a bit more seriousness? I think just considering the type of play style that he has, which is defense-heavy, uh, it's energy, that, that stuff that he's going to bring regardless. It's not... Is he going to shoot like Rui Hachimura, for example? Shot the lights out during the playoffs, but it wasn't great during the regular season, right? I I wonder, do do you treat Lando with a bit more seriousness than some of those other guys who had sort of flashes in the playoffs and, and earn money out of them? Well, as we mentioned, the IQ with Jock Lando stands out. So, yeah. uh, what's going to be fascinating is when you go from playing with CP3, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant at the back end of the season. Guys that are just going to find you at all times and you work around them. And if you are unselfish and you're happy, like I said, run the floor and not get rewarded, hit the offensive glass, you're going to have success. And every NBA team needs that. You already mentioned it. This Rockets roster is going to be very interesting because they've clearly got to the point where they're like, well, we've got this salary cap space. They haven't gone all in because the Van Vliet deal is it's three years, but it's it's not... It's two years, basically, that Team you know he's going to be. Third year. Yeah. So they're going to be able to to have some flexibility when those young guys do need to get paid. But at the same time, if you're adding Van Vliet, Jeff Green, uh, you know, Jock Landau is going to be a, a rotation player. They're not satisfied with just sitting back anymore. So I'm just curious how it all fits. And it's clearly going to be a different situation, going to take a, a little bit more time than it did in Phoenix. And so there are, there are comparisons you can make between the way the Rockets are going through their rebuild and the way the Thunder have gone through their rebuild. The Thunder have just brought on expiring contracts <laughs> and so that's how they're sort of reaching the salary floor. The Rockets are going a completely different direction which is just signing these guys for relatively good money. They had and, so much caps. Oh, Dylan Brooks, the other one we should mention. Yeah, so they had what, like 60-some-odd million dollars? They had in, to spend it, yeah. They had to, right? And so the the Thunder have gone a different direction and I think that sort of that's inducive, conducive to them just leaning into their young guys. And they've had success. They made the play-in, they, they nearly made the playoffs. Um, the Rockets have gone sort of a completely different direction, which is they have their young guys and they're now surrounding them with some of these veteran pieces. And I'm intrigued to see how that works out. I think that the the nature of the guys who they've brought in are, are conducive to building something that could mm-hmm. potentially be good long term. Um, and from the the follow the carryover from someone like Landale is how will Shengun develop? Like will he develop into a serious starting guy? And then if they make the play in, you know, how playable is Shengun? when it comes to him being a liability defensively, where Landale isn't. And that, to your point, is why I'm surprised that it's it was seemingly Landale was just let go from the Suns a little bit too easily. They, they replaced him effectively with Drew Eubanks, who is, who is good. Uh, but to have someone who had proven that he can play rotation minutes in the playoffs, uh, especially when the future of DeAndre Ayton is relatively uncertain right now, it, it probably it would have been really good insurance to have kept someone like Landale. And, you know, it cleared a, a path for Landau to easily get there as well and be rewarded uh, for his efforts. So, uh, as you pointed to, the Rockets will be a team to watch because a little bit of a of a rabble the last few years and not, you know, I mean, so many young guys. I mean, sometimes you see that that's the way it plays out. But they've clearly brought in uh, some veteran players and look to do that with guys that are really solid contributors in the NBA. So we'll see how the Houston Rockets 
uh, pan out this season as that all develops. Someone else that I was really happy for, Joe Ingles. And I think this is a great story, a two-year, $22 million deal to go to Orlando. Now, if you asked me where I thought Joe Ingles was going to land in the NBA, I reckon the Orlando Magic might have been around 25, team 25 <laughs> or below, just because of the situation they're in. And you know, I was thinking, Joe played really good basketball with the Bucks last year. He played 46 games in the regular season, shot over 40% from three. He had eight games with four plus threes, 13 games with five plus assists, and was just a really, really important cog in the function of the half-court offense of the Milwaukee Bucks that really, really struggled throughout the season. So I think, and I thought, and I still believe, that he has got genuine uh, ability to be additive to a contending team. And I was curious about where the market was going to be from a dollar perspective. But if you told me that coming off the ACL at 35... Yeah. Joe Ingles was going to be in a situation where we're like, well, what team, how are teams going to view this? Are they going to yeah. be confident giving him a contract? He got $6.5 million from the Bucks last year immediately. They were confident in him. He proved it. We spoke about prove it deals. We speak about prove it deals all the time. And now he's earning over $10 million a year again. I mean, it is just incredible at this point in his career to do this. So I was just thrilled to see the offer, regardless of where the team was. For sure. And then I, I just wonder, where is where is the fit with this Magic team? I, I'm, I'm unsure if he even plays significant minutes at all, which is, in my mind, relatively concerning just because like, you want to see Joe Ingles play basketball. But I think they just have a lot of young guys in his position. It does feel really sort of similar to Houston, where it's, okay, this is the adult in the room which is important for a team, for a young team that I think can maybe flirt with a play-in relatively soon. Like ben Caro was really good. Franz Wagner's really good. Fultz had a really good season. Um, so I, I wonder what it means from that perspective. For a personal perspective, for Joe Ingles, I think this is his 10th year in the NBA. So that means that, for those who don't know this, he gets pension. Uh, getting that NBA, getting that pension at year 10, uh, and I think Delhi has one more year in order to get this. And Baines is also a year away. So these guys, they need that one more year in the NBA. Ingles gets it by, by signing this contract. And so that's a really big thing for him and his family. Um, the, the pension, the difference between a 10-year veteran versus a 90-year veteran is, is severe. Um, and so that's a really good thing for him. I also wonder if we end up seeing him in that second year or not. So he's effectively an expiring contract immediately. I wonder if he gets dealt. Um, and then I do wonder if... If he doesn't want to be, if they don't pick up a team option, is he in the NBL? There, are, there are already NBL teams who are sort of preparing for the idea of Joe Ingles. How, how can we incorporate someone like that? So, so I, I think of the sort of carryover effects of that deal. Yeah, this isn't anything that I'm reporting or, but we've discussed yeah. it. And I thought when Joe Ingles first had the injury, I looked at the timeline. Still very confident that he can play at the NBA level because we saw it last year, coming off. It was actually a pretty quick recovery. But coming off nine to ten months off, he fit seamlessly, was able to be a lead ball handler at an NBA offense, which at his size it brings incredible versatility. But I was looking at the Olympics. Yep. And I was thinking that he definitely wants to be there. So I felt pretty confident from the outside, assuming that he was going to at least try and hang in the NBA through the 2023-24 season. Uh, based on what we saw last year, I think he can play beyond that. But does he yeah. want to do that? We'll wait and see. But I think it's a good point you make. And what is essentially a one-year deal? And maybe the Magic uh, think in a year's time that that's a, a valuable guy to continue to have around this young roster as well. But uh, again, from a personal standpoint, a pretty remarkable 
uh, period here for Joe Ingles in his career. Uh, one other guy uh, that we wanted to mention here, or well, we might get to a couple quickly, but certainly have a, a more of an extended chat about Dante Exum. Mm. Uh, he's back. He, he's he's back, back, baby. And he's had opportunities to come back over the last few years. Certainly, as, as far as I'm aware, there's been teams that have been interested and have been making the call. And we saw him at the Olympics, healthy. And for me, was one of two or three guys that on the Boomers roster when they played Team USA. Matisse Thibel being another one. Josh Green didn't play a lot of minutes, but you knew that he was one of those guys that you were just like, that is the type of player we need against Team USA. NBA caliber defensive athletes. And that's why, not that we're going to talk about Ben Simmons, but that's why I've been desperate for him to be in the Boomers team as well. Dante Exum was, along with Matisse Thibel, they were the two guys that was like, all right, guard Kevin Durant. And he's, he's too big and he's going to be able to get his shot up, but uh, make his life difficult. Both those guys did that. We've seen Thibel do it, obviously, at an all-NBA defensive caliber way. But that was me walking away from the Olympics and going, man, I don't care what people say about what they saw from him in Utah and some of the other stops with the injuries. This is an NBA guy. And he's been healthy over the last couple of years. 56 games this year in Europe. Double-digit scoring, which is meaningful in those leagues where there's certainly a lot more team basketball on the offensive end. 43% from three as well. So i got no question. He, he is an NBA-caliber guy. I'm excited to see him now also on a contender, Alex. And that was the, the shot was always a question mark yeah. since he got into the league. Uh, and so for him to be that effective and, and produce at that level in Europe, where the floor is a little bit smaller than the NBA, for him to, to score at that level is really impressive. And when you go through his shooting numbers, you know, it's I'm, I'm looking at his time with Barcelona just in the Euro League, right? And it's from, from three-point land, it's, it's 52.5%. Mm-hmm. On granted, that was on on one attempt a game, but then he sort of he doubled those attempts, and he was hovering around the the, the 42, 43 mark during his time with Partizan in both the Euroleague and and the the uh, ABA as well. So I'm I'm looking at him, I'm thinking, okay, he's answered the the one question mark that everyone had, and so that was the shooting. So his three point numbers went up, his free throw shooting went up, and he's he's going to be 28, or he is 28, and so you're looking at a guy who has always shown that he can guard and we saw that through the Olympics as well he can still do that he still has a really solid level of, of athleticism I think at the very he's been dunking on everyone Ox. yeah so he's, he's at the very least an average NBA athlete but probably even even above that mm-hmm. and he brings the Mavericks something that they needed which is a, another quality proven perimeter defender and if he can shoot the ball like that th- there there's minutes there and I think the Mavericks you call them a contender and it feels weird because they didn't make the, the play-in but they, they, they had a really weird year they should be. I mean, the, that's the expectation from they would. If you got Luka Doncic, you expect that you could need to try and contend. Totally, Doncic. They re-upped Kyrie Irving, so you know they they should be a contender. And I think he, I think he genuinely helps them. I think he can genuinely be a rotation piece in the playoff series. So that was a, a very nice one to see. Uh, so it was just a one-year deal, minimum deal, right? Yeah, but as as you mentioned, uh, with the age there at, at 28, and I think it's in a couple of days, July something here coming up, but uh, he at 28, and you got seven years. Yeah. you got seven years to, to really carve out a nice NBA career if that's what he wants to do. This is the start of someone's prime. Exactly. Generally. Exactly. And I think there's a number of guys you put in this category, but Dante Exum's been one of the one of the great what-ifs over the those few mm. years with just such a bad luck. Uh, with his body and he's spoken about that and trying to get through that 
and I don't know this, but I, I assume that was part of the reason why he stayed in Europe a little bit longer. He was comfortable. He, was, he had a really nice role. Uh, and uh, hopefully he won't get body slammed in the NBA. That's, <laughs> that's... Granted, Gershon Yabuselli is trying to get back into the NBA. Oh. Can he just not, please? Yeah, I don't think we want to see that. So uh, Dante Exum back in the NBA, which we love. Uh, just quickly, Mojave King. Uh, I wanted to acknowledge this because we didn't chat after the draft, but yeah. pick 47, uh, Pacers... And I just think a great story. We talk about all the different pathways uh, to the NBA uh, these days. And if you would have asked me a couple of years ago after the, the second stint in the NBL, so Adelaide and then Cairns, do you think uh, Mojave King's a player that's going to get drafted? I probably would have said no based on what we've seen just because NBA teams move on quickly. Yeah. But he's still young enough. Followed Dyson Daniels as the, the guy that got it done at the G League Ignite. He obviously went uh, as a top 10 pick. But... There was familiarity within the the camp uh, of what the G League Ignite can do for you and Mojave King, a cool story. Yeah, Mojave King's always been like an idea. Yep. Like the idea of like a really cool player, 6'5", long. He ostensibly can shoot it uh, and he should be able to defend, but it's just like about refining all of those tools and then putting all those tools together. He wasn't able to do that in Cairns and in Adelaide. Um, Went over to the Ignite, didn't shoot it particularly well. Uh, but showed enough glimpses athletically, showed enough glimpses as, as an off-ball defender. And then he went into the combine and played really well, shot it really well. Yeah. And again, the idea of Mojave King suddenly manifests into something real. And I think the Pacers see that. I think a big part of picking him that early is, I, I call it early, it's the 47th, but usually yeah. you see those guys around the 50s, is I, he'll be stashed. And yeah. I think they're fully aware of that. And so they get to just watch him develop elsewhere. Uh, where he gets stashed, we, we are yet to see. Um, it would be cool if it's in the NBL, but I, but the feel is that it'll be somewhere else, pro- probably in Europe, somewhere like that. And uh, again, one of those guys you might be able to see play a little bit over the next uh, few weeks here. And you know, if you're an NBA team, uh, whether it was a stash or a two-way, it's worth taking a shot at the, at the pedigree you spoke about. I mean, this is a guy that we've spoken about for years. Like, yeah. forget the NBL, way before the, that, at the Global Academy... Josh, a young fella, Josh Giddy's hanging around there, and those two have spoken about playing uh, alongside each other and those types of things. So these guys are always fascinating to me, the high-pedigree guys that have been watched and, and pegged for a long time as future NBA players. Yeah, and he, again, he's he's not a what-if yet um, because mm-hmm. he's still he's still yeah. progressing through that pathway. Um, but, but it is to an extent of if he had a similar level of opportunity that Josh Giddy had in the NBL. I wonder if he would he have gotten here quicker? Would our perception of him not have shifted? Um, it, it just did because he did it for two seasons in a row in the NBL and, and it just it just wasn't it. But yeah, some of the NBA teams have been like pretty high on for a good amount of time, especially early. And it's it is good to see, like you said, that teams didn't just forget. Mm-hmm. They 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 stuck with it and he stuck with it. So credit to him. And and maybe it wouldn't have panned out that way if they didn't take the leap and said, Hey, we might have one more shot at this right now in terms of being drafted and go to the G League Ignite. So yeah. uh, another pathway for Australian and New Zealand players that we've seen uh, be pretty pretty valuable in getting them to the NBA draft. So that's cool. One more thing to acknowledge, uh, Matt Walsh here, our producer just uh, well, sounded like out of the corner of my eye. He was about to sneeze and really just hold it in. And I think that's a dangerous him. thing to do, but he was <laughs> able to hold it in for the for this podcast so we don't have a sneeze over the top so shout out to Walshy Elks I appreciate that and, and we also appreciate Alex who nearly sneezed uh, no we appreciate him for all the work he does 
on this podcast and uh, beyond all the content we do. A big few days for the Australians around the NBA. So this was fun to chat about. It's fun to be back in the room with you, Ogs. Uh, please travel safely over to uh, the USA. Thank you. Well, and welcome welcome back. You've been a bloody superstar over there. I, I watch you on, on SportsCenter. Today? Over here, nah. over the other side of the desk? No, just during the NBA finals. Yeah. Be like if you've heard of them. Yeah. yeah, back here for 24 hours. I perform my best <laughs> jet lagged. That is one key takeaway. But as I said, uh, the Jock Landau chat and plenty of other stuff because uh, we are seriously ramping up uh, to the FIBA World Cup. I know we're both going to be covering that uh, for ESPN, so there's going to be plenty of national team stuff to continue to roll on ESPN.com.au and, uh, of course, ESPN, uh, the television channels as well, wherever you watch them these days. Who knows how people get their ESPN content, but hopefully legally, and they're paying the bills. <laughs> Did I tell you to say that? No, no. Yeah, that wrap, is, it, wrap, wrap, wrap it up. Straight from the heart. All right, let's wrap, wrap this up. <laughs> Another episode of ESPN NBA podcast today, at least a free agency edition. I don't know when we're going to be back, but if I can get in touch with Ogs in the US, we'll do it. We'll speak to you all next time. See you, everybody.